Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Last time, we delved into the first two components of Scripture's overarching storyline, creation and fall. These two explain where the world came from and what went wrong with it. Today, we'll consider the last two components, redemption and restoration. These two tell us what God has done about the problems of our world already and what he yet plans to do in the future. Taken together, these four elements of the Christian metanarrative provide a robust explanation that not only makes sense of human experience, but also gives us purpose and hope. Here is episode 395, Why Christianity, Part 8, Metanarrative 2, with Jerry Weirwell. We're going to continue on with the meta-narrative of the, of the Christian faith, uh, the biblical worldview. And uh, the next two parts of the, the four-quadrant uh, meta-narrative are redemption and restoration. Redemption. This is a, a word that probably is not too common in, in the normal vernacular of uh, America, but in the Bible, it's, it's quite important, and we're going to get into some of that. The word redemption in the New Testament is apolutrosis, and it means to release. And it's often used in Greek literature to describe the process of paying a ransom in order to uh, buy back a slave or, or set a slave free. So the idea of redemption is this releasing, and the releasing is implying that there's a, a change, a change in, in the status or condition of the individual. Particularly for like a slave, it would be the liberation. They go from being in bondage or indentured underneath the authority of, of some sort of uh, household owner or, or somebody and to being free from that and uh, allowed to be able to live uh, independently. The New Testament, the, the message of the good news, the gospel, it describes this deliverance uh, that is affected through the death of Christ from the retributive wrath of God and our merited penalty for sin. It, uh, it says in uh, Romans 6:23 that the wages of sin is death. And as Dan so eloquently uh, shared with us, the, the current state of our world uh, is described by the fall is a product of the entrance of sin through the rebellion uh, and disobedience of Adam and Eve. This idea that the entire creation is sort of like in this state of bondage. And we're going to then look at how now through Christ and through Christ's death, there has been a releasing. And that is the main idea of redemption. I'd like to read a quote here by Carl Jung. The main problem that redemption deals with is our merited guilt and punishment for sin, which is death. So death is the main idea. Here's what Carl Jung uh, says here. He says, death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There is no sense pretending otherwise. It is brutal, not only as a physical event, but far more so psychically. 
a human being is torn away from us, and what remains is the icy stillness of death. There no longer exists any hope of a relationship, for all the bridges have been smashed at one blow. Death is the enemy. And Carl Jung puts it very succinctly that death, it is the end of hope. There is no relationship that can surpass death in the idea if death is the final state of where we're all going. If that is the meta-narrative that somebody lives toward, then death is the end game. You die and then there's nothing else. This brings up a point that comes from the first two stages of the meta-narrative, that in the beginning, when God created this beautiful, wholesome, wonderful universe and heaven and earth and humankind, death was not part of it. Death was not innate. It was not a natural, inherent component. Death is foreign to our world. The meta-narrative of Scripture tells us this that death has come about because of sin, because the serpent tricked, deceived Adam and Eve, and then through their rebellion and disobedience, sin then entered the world. And through sin, as Dan read from Romans chapter 5, through sin came death. Condemnation and the punishment of that is death. Death, however, is not natural. There's an illustration I remember reading um, by the philosopher Peter Kreeft. He talks about this uh, time when this young boy experienced the loss of his three-year-old cousin, tragic death of his three-year-old cousin. And in asking his mother about where his cousin is at or what happened to his cousin, the mother then goes to explain that, well, your cousin, you see, there's this cycle of life where people uh, live and, and then they die and, you know, they become part of the earth again. Because his mother didn't have, she had a different meta-narrative. She didn't have a, a biblical meta-narrative to talk to about. Didn't have a, a biblical worldview in which to frame the experience of death and understanding what it means. So she explains it through, through this uh, sort of New Age mystical Mother Earth conception that when you die, you go back to the ground and become a life source for what comes next. Sort of a, a circle of life type of idea. And she says, she tells the, her, uh, her son, the seven-year-old boy, next spring, when you see the flowers blooming, you can know that your cousin's life is fertilizing those flowers. Well, you know what the boy did? The boy went away screaming, saying, No! I don't want him to be fertilizer! <laughs> you see, even a, even a kid knows that death is not something that's supposed to happen. And a kid that can't, doesn't see the way that life can proceed like that. It is unnatural. Death is foreign to our, what God designed our existence to be. You know, C.S. Lewis said that if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And that's where the meta-narrative is going. It's going to be, we're going to be talking about this other world, so to say. What is the end game according to the Christian or biblical worldview? 
But hold that thought for a moment as we're going to continue talking about redemption. If you will, let's pick back up um, from Scripture in Romans chapter 5. How does Scripture depict our redemption? So Dan read, uh, starting in verse 12, which talks about the effects of the fall. Let's, let's just go back a little bit previously to that and read, starting in verse 6. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, part of redemption, part of the release, is the ability to come back to and engage in a relationship with God. Reconciliation is the terminology that the scriptures use to talk about the way that we have been brought back to God. And that happens because we've been released from a bondage, from being bound to this world and the sin that has corrupted it through the fall. And this is the meta-narrative that scripture gives us. Let's also go to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul also writes something important here about redemption. Let's read here verse 7. It says, in him, this is speaking of Jesus, the Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery or secret of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. You see, the idea of redemption, the releasing, is so that we can now be brought together under Christ. That in Christ, when Christ died, he purchased or he gave himself as a ransom. A, a sort of like the way that we've been bought back is that he paid this guilt price for the punishment of sin. And through that, now we are able to receive this reconciliation. And this is according to God's purpose, it says. And this is what God has been planning the whole time. This is where the meta narrative is going. Redemption is getting us somewhere. It's taking us from this fallen state where Dan has told us that the, the world is the way it is because of the fall. And now we're moving it forward. We're moving it forward to a state of change change away from, a release from, where it currently is. Redemption also gives us hope. This is an important thing Terry talked about previously, that the meta-narrative of the Christian faith, that one of the most important aspects is that there is hope. Please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 13, it says, But... We do not want you, this is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. This is just a euphemism for people who are dead, who have died. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep that, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or died. He's talking about, uh, Paul's talking about those who have died in Christ, having faith in Christ. This passage here, I think, is important to note that, see, the Christian worldview is, is one that has hope. And without that, there really isn't a lot of hope. If you look at, and Dan mentioned this as well, if you look at other meta-narratives, other competing ideas and theories about how to explain reality and, and what, we ex what we go through uh, in our lives, uh, the other meta-narratives don't really offer hope. If you want to take the atheist, well, basically the, the hope that they have is the heat death of the universe and the final extinction of all living beings. And so basically we'll have a, a bunch of floating planetary bodies in a cold, frozen tundra of, of the cosmos. Now, if you go to like Eastern religions that are pantheistic or, or things like that, well, your hope is basically you're going to be reabsorbed into the all cosmos, the, the all divine being. You're basically a drop in an ocean and you're finding your way down the stream to find your way back into this uh, corporate conglomeration of, of all life in, in existence. If you look at like maybe the uh, uh, Islam, you know, they offer uh, something for the future. However, I'll say what we're going to see is that in Ephesians, the point of, re of redemption was that it was through grace. See, actually the Christian meta-narrative is really the only meta-narrative in major world religions that offers hope based on grace. All the other ones are based upon your efforts in life. They're based upon works. They're based upon merited judgment of what you should receive as a reward. The Christian meta-narrative is the only story that really tells how God has personally invested in making things right and freeing creation from its current oppression. Let's also go to Romans chapter 8. You know, Dan touched on this passage as well, and we're going to continue it because that's the way the meta-narrative works. We're going to pick up in Romans chapter 8 here, starting in verse 19. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. This is a reference to the fall, as Dan was explaining. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free, will be redeemed from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let's continue on. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This incredible metaphor here of the way that the world is sort of like in, in the throes of childbirth, the pain and anguish of trying to deliver the child, we're currently involved in that. We're struggling. We're experiencing pain and suffering. And that's the way the world is right now. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
Now here, verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, part of the Christian or the biblical meta-narrative is that we have this hope that the way that the world is and the groaning and the suffering that we're experiencing, that we are leading toward the redemption of that. And that that hope that we currently do not have, that future, that if it was here, it wouldn't need to be hoped for, that we look forward to that, that that gives us something to know where we're going. See, a Christian has hope. A Christian has something to look forward to. An atheist has nothing. If you, want, if you talk to somebody and they're trying to be smug about why you are a Christian, the one thing I would tell them is, what do you look forward to when you're lying in bed at 88 years old and you want to know, well, what does your life mean? The Christian has an answer for that. God has given us purpose, whereas the atheist is going to lie there wondering what he did with all of his time, knowing that any time, any moment from then on, he might be gone, and that's the end of his whole existence, and his meaning never amounted to anything. I want to read a quote here from Andrew DelBanco. He wrote, he wrote a book called uh, The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. He said, when a story leads somewhere, he's talking about the uh, way that America and looking toward trying to achieve something as the American dream, whether it be money, wealth, power, possessions, things like that. He said, when a story leads somewhere, it gives us hope. We are future-oriented beings, and so we must understand ourselves as being in a story that leads somewhere. Gosh, I think that is one of the greatest things about the Christian meta-narrative. It's a story that leads somewhere. That it's in the process of unfolding, but yet not fully has it been revealed, because we have hope that there are still yet stages to come. In Hebrews chapter 2, I want to read verse 14 and 15 real quick, because it this is about the redemption and what Christ did through his death. Hebrews chapter 2 says, verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus Christ, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. See, the devil having the power of death through the fall, Jesus Christ has redeemed us from that power that we can be set free from the fear of death. Jesus has freed us from the power of death, and we've been redeemed from the fear of death. See, this is the meta narrative that the groaning and suffering we have, the hope is that, well, the current state of the world. Jesus has changed it. We're now awaiting the full consummation of that reality. See, redemption is, is more than just the hope of eternal life, though. And I think it was really cool because the gospel that we read about is not just about there's something in the future coming. Redemption is actually a current reality. We can live redeemed lives. And I think Tim Keller said something really cool in The Reason for God. Let me read this to you. This, this was a, a good way to state this about how redemption involves more 
or I'm sorry, yeah, redemption involves more than just the hope of eternal life. Listen to this. This upside-down pattern, referring to the way that the kingdom of God is countercultural, the upside-down pattern so contradicts the thinking and practice of the world that it creates an alternate kingdom, an alternate reality, a counterculture among those who have been transformed by it. In this peaceable kingdom, there is a reversal of the values of the world with regard to power, recognition, status, and wealth. In this new counterculture, Christians look at money as something to give away. They look at power as something to use strictly for service, racial and class superiority, accrual of money and power at the expense of others, yearning for popularity and recognition. These normal marks of human life are the opposite of the mindset of those who have understood and experienced the cross. Christ creates a new world order of life. Those who are shaped by the great reversal of the cross no longer need self-justification through money, status, career, or pride of race and class. So the cross creates a counterculture in which sex, money, and power cease to control us and are thus used in life-giving and community-building ways rather than destructive ways. The, re the story of redemption is that the way that the world is, we can live differently. We've been freed from the same rudiments that everybody else lives by. And that leads us to the last portion, which is restoration. This is where the story is leading. The word restoration is just the Greek word apokatastasis. It means to return to a previous good state. It, it denotes the restoring of what was once good but has since been altered. And that is exactly the meta-narrative of the fall. Good creation turned bad because of sin. There has been a change. But now, as we're leading toward the culmination of the meta-narrative, a reversal is going to happen where bad or corrupt now becomes good again. The sin, the wickedness, and evil, and everything that has infiltrated the world is going to be purged. And we're going to return to a good state. See, the goal of redemption is to restore us to our original created status. The way God designed us to be. Whole, to be pure and holy, to live with him in harmony. And the way, the, the way that the world is, isn't the way that things should be. The gospel tells us a better story. See, the, the, the meta-narrative of the gospel is one in which what we currently see is not what is, and not what should be. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. The Christian story, the Christian meta-narrative, is that God is in the process of making all things new. This is part of Peter's uh, sermon uh, after he uh, healed the lame man who was laying at the temple gate beautiful. Here in verse 19, it says, this is Peter, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out or erased. Forgiveness, that's what forgiveness is, the erasing of sins that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, 
whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. See, there's this time that God has appointed when he will send his Christ, Jesus, our Savior. And at that time, it will be for the restoring of all things. See, the restoration is the final block of the meta narrative. God is going to be making all things right. You see, we like, to, we like that type of an ending, don't we? There's something unique about a good ending. There's something unique about things being set right. There's something unique about resolution. The Christian meta narrative gives us that answer. In uh, an essay by J.R.R. Tolkien, on fairy stories. He talks all about the way that uh, the fairy tale stories are constructed and the different components of storytelling. And at the end, in his epilogue, he says something very interesting. Here's what he says. I would venture to say that approaching the Christian story from this direction, it has long been my feeling, a joyous feeling, and by this direction, he means in the way that fairy tale stories go, he's saying there's a similarity that, that, ha, that uh, relates to the Christian story. That God redeemed the corrupt, making creatures men in a way fitting to this aspect as to others of their strange nature. The gospel contains a, a fairy story or a story of larger kind, which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. Basically, what he's, going, he's saying is that the Christian meta-narrative is basically the storyline that everybody borrows from. Everybody borrows from the occasion of a crisis and suffering to relief and happiness. Everybody loves a happy ending. That's the, that is the biblical meta-narrative, that God is going to make everything right. Everybody likes to... Uh, wants to see justice, compassion, love, heroism, and seeing things set right. This is what our hearts desire. And that reminds me of a quote by Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. You see, the idea of restoration and the making all things new, making them right, that's what the Bible calls new creation. God is going to make all things right again, and we will have everything we long for that this world cannot offer. To close, I'd like to give you guys the biblical picture of the end game. I'd like to give you guys a description of new creation. If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 21, this is the final scene in the biblical meta narrative. This is where everything is leading. This is where redemption comes about and brings full circle back to where we were originally created to be, with God in paradise, without sin, sickness, death, and all the other fallen stuff in the world. Okay, here, Revelation 21. It says, start in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. God will restore the world. God will bring us back to himself, and we will be renewed and be in the presence of God, dwelling with him forevermore. That is the conclusion of the biblical meta-narrative, and that is the hope that we have. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the meta-narrative presentations on how the story of the Bible explains the world and helps us know who we are and where we're going. Well, that's it for this episode. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, come on to restitutio.org and find episode 395, Why Christianity, Part 8, with Jerry Weirwell, Meta Narrative Part 2, and leave your remark there. Also, just to let you know, if you hadn't checked it out already, we have a new article on restitutio.org called, Is God Jealous? And this article goes through the different times in the Bible when God speaks about his jealousy and explains that God is jealous not of but for his people in the sense that he is exclusive and protective of his love, just like a spouse would be. Take a look at it if you're interested. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.